You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Compared to the cloud to that type of model where, you know, in today's world, you know, most companies and organizations have data centers, at least large organizations, I'll say. And, um, you know, and it sort of compares it to in the future, you know, are we really going to every organization have their own data centers or are we just going to leverage the cloud as a public commodity? Welcome, everyone. My name is Wayne Eckerson, host of the Secrets of Data Analytics podcast, which surfaces the tips, tricks, and techniques of leading practitioners in the data analytics field. With me today is a longtime friend and colleague in the BI industry, Stephen Dine. Steve is a BI and enterprise data consultant and industry thought leader who has extensive experience designing, delivering, and managing highly scalable and maintainable modern data architectures. Steve combines a strong business acumen with hands-on technical experience and is committed to providing value by helping companies transform their data assets into a competitive advantage. He is currently president of Data Source Consulting. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you, Wayne. It's great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to sit down and and talk through the cloud. Yeah, that's our topic today is the cloud. now, a lot of people, including myself, say going to the cloud is a no-brainer. Do you think this is really true? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily that's a no-brainer. Um, for a lot of companies, there, there's many things to consider. I, I do think over the long term, uh, the cloud will be very prevalent in, in how we architect and in our systems. Uh, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's an analogy out there about you know, the cloud being like a public utility. And, you know, and, and Nicholas Carr, who wrote a famous article called IT Doesn't Matter, uh, and then wrote a follow-up book about cloud, talking about comparing it to electricity and how, uh, you know, we used to all have our, you know, companies, uh, organizations used to have generate their own electricity. Uh, and now, uh, you know, we electricity is a commodity and, and you know, rarely do we you know, have our own uh, electric generation, you know, Per company or per, organiza- per organization, and compares the cloud to that type of a model where you know we today's world, you know, most companies and organizations have data centers, at least large organizations, I'll say, and um, you know, and sort of compares it to in, in the future, you know, are we really going to every organization have their own data centers, or are we just going to leverage the cloud as a public commodity? And so, but when we think about the cloud and we think about it for analytics data management, there's there's just a lot of things that you have to be considered. Uh, you know, one is, and sometimes most importantly, is compliance. You know, organizations a lot of times start putting their plans together about migrating to the cloud only to learn that, uh, you know, they're in, in, in an industry or they have compliance regulations in their industry or even in a country that doesn't allow storing data on a public cloud or storing on a public cloud that's located in a different geographic area than they are, uh, like a different country. And there's, as I mentioned, you know, there's, there's compliance in, in healthcare and banking and in government. Every, a lot of different industries have uh, requirements that, you know, not all the public clouds uh, meet those uh, or are certified for meeting those compliance requirements. And so uh, you, know, you definitely need to understand, you know, what you, you know, from a data perspective, what you can do and what you cannot do um, in moving your data out of your local data center. Um, You also have to really consider the volume of data that you have in your organization and where that data is located. 
know, a lot of people refer to it as data gravity. And, you know, in, in when we're assessing uh, organizational readiness uh, to migrate to the cloud, that's one of the things that, one of the top things we look at because, you know, moving data and in large volumes of data, it can be problematic, especially even though networking and networks have become faster and our compressions have become better, still, you know, we can only move a cer- only so much data you know, over the network. And um, so we have to look at, you know, where is that data located and, you know, and, and how much of that data are we going to have to, A, move to the cloud, to a cloud provider, you know, and B, you know, what are our usage patterns as far as, you know, how are people using that data for analytics? Are they downloading the entire data set and then doing the analytics on their desktop or desktop tool? Uh, or are they just sampling the data and, and only using a small portion of that data but you really have to look at you know, how people are, are, are utilizing that data and where your data is located that you're sourcing from. You know, you also uh, have to look internally as you know your ability to support the cloud. And I know we'll probably touch on this in a bit more detail later. But you, a lot of organizations uh, really, you know, they think that you know, the cloud and, and obviously there's different types of clouds or different cloud service offerings. There's, there's infrastructure in the cloud. There's platform. Uh, uh, or platform as a service, and then there's software as a service. And a lot of what we'll talk about today, I'm sure we'll probably talk a bit more about infrastructure as a service, but you know, we'll also touch on platform and, and software as a service. But you know, depending on you know the, the type of model, uh, or excuse me, the type of, of services you're looking for from the cloud, you know, the, the responsibility model changes as far as what the responsibilities are of the organization versus the cloud provider. And, uh, and that's something that you have to really look at and, and understand whether you have the ability internally to support it. Um, many organizations justify moving to the cloud based off of you know, lower resource costs as far as the, the, what they you know, pay uh, employees to maintain it, um, thinking that the cloud provider is going to provide all that. Um, and so they learn very quickly when they move to the cloud that that's not necessarily the case. So you've given us quite a few reasons uh, not to move to the cloud, <laughs> it seems like. Uh, so obviously the decision is is not a no-brainer. Uh, it's interesting on the data movement issue. I've heard both sides of that when I've talked to people. Some say, oh, yeah, the latency is really bad and the cost of transferring data is really high. And then others say, oh, it's no problem. No matter how much data you have, uh, you know, we use change data capture and high-speed networks and the cost isn't that high. So I, I hear two sides of that coin. I'm wondering where you stand. Uh, I've seen both sides of it. And so where I stand is that it's something that you have to consider when you're planning your migration to the cloud or whether you're going to move to the cloud. And and, and I also want to uh, clarify one thing, and that's, you know, especially in our industry, we, we sometimes feel as though if we're not doing something 100%, then we're not doing it. And that absolutely... Uh, uh, relates to the cloud. You know, moving to the cloud doesn't mean that everything has to move to the cloud. You know, we talk about you know, hybrid architectures and having some some of your analytic architecture on premise and some in the cloud. And so, I wanted to preface just by saying that you know, when we talk about migrating to the cloud. We don't necessarily have to move everything. Uh, but you know, talking about data volumes, we've been in situations with with clients where we've looked at their data volumes and and the locality of where their data is and uh, and calculated out how long it would take to move that data on a daily basis. Now there's, there's methods uh, with many of the public cloud providers 
to move data you know, through devices, you know, taking your data and, and loading it into a storage device and then shipping it you know, via carrier like a FedEx or a UPS. And, and then the cloud provider loads it into their either object-based storage or into you know, target database paying on the cloud provider. And, and then, you know, you're really only moving the incrementals. So, you know, you can, you can move large amounts of data, but, you know, where it becomes problematic is, uh, A, with the coordination. Uh, you know, if I'm moving terabytes of data from a system that is generating, ter- uh, you know, a large amount of data on a daily basis. So maybe I'm moving, you know, my first uh, initial move hundreds of terabytes, if not a petabyte of data. And on a daily basis, I'm adding, you know, terabyte or terabytes of data. You know, I can ship that data to the cloud, you know, load it on a storage device and ship it to the cloud. But then, you know, it takes a few days for that data to get, you know, to the the provider and then loaded. Uh, You know, now I have, once again, a fair amount of data that I have to move uh, to the cloud and then synchronize those systems. but where, where it really becomes problematic is when there's, there's a large amount of incremental volume on a daily basis. You know, A, from a cost perspective, because the cost, you know, vendors, depending on the public cloud vendor, charge for you know, data in and out of their cloud. And, and B, it just, you know, takes time. And it's not a, you know, it's a calculation everybody can do. I mean, we, we know the speed of our networks. And what we do is we run, you know, we run tests out to the cloud providers uh, with certain data sets. We, we measure the latency. We measure how long it takes basically to move that data from point A to point B. And then we do it over a period of time because, you know, certain times of the day, you, know, you don't always get the same performance over a network uh, throughout the day and in the evening. So, you know, we test for different times of the day, in the evening, and then you know, come up with an average. And we also look at, you know, how much basically from that calculation, how much data could we move and, and how long would it take? Right. And I guess there's a lot, there's a lot of incremental data, as you say, some companies go to, uh, installing private networks that go right from their data center to the uh, cloud provider. <clears throat> of course, that can get expensive, but maybe it's less expensive than hiring an extra DBA for your on-premises data center. Uh, so I guess it's uh, it's it's always a balancing act. But let me ask about the hybrid hybrid cloud. You had mentioned that. I think that's a very interesting topic today. I, I'm trying to wrap my head around why would someone really want to have a hybrid cloud? It seems so complex. There's some vendors who are messaging that right now, but I think there's, you know, they may have ulterior reasons for that because uh, they're on-premises vendors shifting to the cloud themselves. Uh, but why wouldn't you want to be all in in the cloud and get all the benefits of that uh, other than compliance reasons, which you mentioned in the outset? I mean, why not just migrate everything up there? Sure. That's a great question. Um, and, 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 you know, first I want to clarify, you know, hybrid cloud can mean a few things. You know, hybrid cloud uh, is oftentimes referred to as um, a, a cloud uh, architecture in which internal to the organization, but it's managed externally, meaning that, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cloud environment that's uh, local to you know, the, the customer's facility potentially, and then is um, within their facilities, I would say. Would, would say, and then managed externally. Some people refer to a hybrid cloud as, as that. And then there's hybrid cloud architectures of you know, having some of your, I should say hybrid analytic architectures where you have some of your analytic architecture on premise and some in the cloud. So your question is, well, why would you do that? And, and the answer, you know, you mentioned compliance, but it, the other is it, it depends on 
what your workloads are. It depends on what your architecture is to meet your requirements internally and, and, and other things like data volumes and, and things like that. And who your consumers are, are they consuming data internally? Are they consuming it mostly externally? Um, and there's, there's actually 26 things we look at, 26 requirements we'll look at when designing an architecture. But so there's a variety of reasons why. And you know, one could be that you, know, you have uh, a large contingent of, of internal users, uh, maybe some data scientists, for example, that are, are uh, having to query uh, data that is very low latent, I'm going to say query, but you utilize data that has you know, very low latency in, in applying models against very low latency data um, that is, uh, is much easier to, or is, or is much uh, more benefit to having it local. Uh, we have some customers, for example, that have facilities, manufacturing facilities all over the globe, you know, in, in, uh, in Asia, in, in Europe, in, in Eastern Europe, in Mexico, in South America, as well as North America. And, um, you know, having that, they have massive amounts of data being generated in these manufacturing facilities. And so, you know, having that data local and being able to uh, analyze that data, that local data set, uh, is very important. And obviously, it's much lower latency than running it, you know, across uh, large, you know, across the globe and having that data land in a, in a central location, um, you know, every second versus what they do is, you know, we... We uh, have that data that loads, you know, locally, which is very low latency and, and, and high volumes. And then we take a uh, the most important part of that data, we call sort of signal. Uh, we take that data and then move that data a few times a day uh, to a central uh, data lake that can be uh, analyzed by uh, by everyone. So, and then integrated with other data from other manufacturing facilities. There are some architectures, for example, where you know we might want to create a a, a data vault or a, uh, a a normalized warehouse on premise, but then have the the more dimensional model that's out in the cloud. Um, that way, it can be leveraged uh, for. And we have one customer that's a healthcare organization that leverages that uh, the data vault architecture more uh, from uh, the perspective of auditing as well as uh, tracking history. And um, and also there they have data that comes from you know, many many different systems and a lot of those happen to be local to their organization so we we load that data locally and then uh, aggregate aggregate that data and move you know a, a lower volume up to the cloud. Right. Yeah, I have seen a lot of BI go to the cloud before the data goes there. You know, the reports and, and maybe in your, this case the cubes go up there. So consumption in the cloud and the the data stays on premises, especially when your data gravity is on premise. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Let me ask this question: um, You know, for people who are eagerly trying to get into this uh, cloud environment with their data analytics, how does the cloud change the way you architect your data analytics environment, or, or does it all at all? Uh, it it generally does. I mean, the you know we we, we had talked earlier uh, off. Uh, prior to the podcast, I remember at uh, an event we were both at, you know, talking about different architectures in the cloud and, and some mistakes that, that people can make. You know, as you when you look at your architecture, and I always say, you know, there's a reason why you go through an architecture process, and that's because you really have to understand what the requirements are, which tend to be unique to each organization. 
but you know there's some general tenets we follow when we move to the cloud and you know one is we, we tend to leverage object-based storage as a landing area and oftentimes a data lake more often than we would when it's on premise and, and part of that is you know a lot of organizations don't have or don't utilize you know, large-scale object-based storage and but the cloud does and it's a very uh, efficient uh, cost-effective way to store your data and, uh, and, it, and it's also a safe way because it generally tends to get replicated across zones uh, in public cloud providers. So, uh, so we leverage object-based storage quite a bit. We also look at and, and treat it more from an architectural perspective as services uh, you know, versus independent applications, meaning that uh, you know, in the future, well today, you know, there's, there's certain services you can apply uh, onto your data like for example, you know, uh, Google has natural language processing as well as, you know, some uh, machine learning uh, services that you can just uh, apply to data that's sitting in an object-based storage. Amazon happens to have a query engine uh, called Athena that you can query directly from object-based storage. So you don't necessarily have to take your data out of object-based storage to analyze it. Uh, you can. There's also uh, database uh, analytic database services that allow you to um, to leverage external tables that essentially the external tables data sitting in in object-based storage so you can you can query that data albeit you know it's not quite as fast as when it's you know when it's uh, stored in local block-based storage but uh, it's um, you know for data that you're loading in and your users just want to look at it and and maybe do some analysis to determine whether it's data that you know has any value uh, it's very beneficial so so we start by looking at you know, and with you know, how we're going to leverage object-based storage, what services we're going to, or are you going to want to uh, leverage from that cloud provider? We generally uh, architect, uh, and, I, and I say generally because it's, it's not 100% uh, of the case, because a lot of times you know we can architect this way on premise. But you know, in the cloud, we can very easily spin up uh, more resources, and uh, so we we architect for distributed sort of parallel environments and. You know, cloud's very good good uh, architecture to do that. You do have to be careful about and sure you know um, how that you know data moves within the cloud provider, um, because uh, you know not all cloud services, I will say, uh, operate uh, equally. You have to be careful about, for example, at Amazon, AWS, or you know I/O, uh, which is the amount of data that's coming in and out of your your instance, is is dependent upon the size of instance that you that you uh, spin up, so um, so you have to be careful. And and obviously, I'm talking about you know more public cloud providers that provide infrastructure as a service. But you know you also have to be careful with software as a service and knowing you know how how much data can move in and out of their networks, what kind of workloads they provide and uh, or account for. You also have to architect for you may want uh, to leverage serverless uh, technologies or serverless. Services which ability, allow you the ability to run code without necessarily having to spin up or having to put it on an individual server it can be very, in, in some cases, very cost effective, and and also uh, requires you know a lot less maintenance. We also rearchitect for how we move data. Um, you know, we generally use the term ETL for extract, transform, and load. You know, within the cloud, we tend to do a lot more ELT or extract, load, then transform. And you know, in a lot of cases, when we move to the cloud, uh, we're leveraging new services uh, that those cloud providers uh, offer. And so, 
you know, our ETL jobs a lot of times have to be re-architected. Um, this is a very extensive topic that I could probably tell. We could probably spend an entire show talking about how to architect for the cloud, but you know, those are the areas uh, you know immediately come to mind. Right. So let, let's focus on the big things that could trip people up. What, what are some of the major mistakes that you've seen that people make when moving data and analytics processing to the cloud? You know, the, the first mistake I see people making is not understanding the economics of the cloud. You know, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people immediately think that the cloud is inexpensive in all cases. And um, I think when I, when I talk about the economics of the cloud, uh, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a part of this that is sort of flipped when we think about you know, capital versus operating expense. You know, generally speaking, when we do you know, large-scale analytic projects, especially ones where there's a, an initial implementation, there's quite a bit of capital that has to be outlaid for the purchase of hardware uh, as well as software and services. And, uh, and, you know, it can take quite a bit of time to get up and running. Uh, you know, with the cloud, generally speaking, the capital uh, part of it is, is quite a bit less. And I say generally speaking because some vendors do uh, charge quite a bit in the cloud for licensing. And we I call that sort of vendor uh, software on the cloud. But, you know, in a lot of cases when you're just leveraging cloud services, uh, you're, it's more of a subscription or hourly uh, basis and or maybe transactional basis. And so... You know, upfront costs tend to be a lot less, but the ongoing costs tend to be a bit more. And that's depending on, uh, you know, for example, how many servers that you have uh, that are up and running or how many licenses you have with a cloud vendor who's charging you um, a subscription on an annual basis. Uh, whereas on-prem, you might pay a you know, fairly large upfront licensing uh, cost and then you know, much lower maintenance. And then, uh, you know, storage, while, you know, it, it looks very inexpensive, in some cases it's, it can be, you know, cents per, per gigabyte or, you know, even cents per terabyte. It's, you know, as you put more and more data out in the cloud, and as that data, for example, when we back up data in the cloud, you know, we'll back up, you know, seven days minimum worth of, of that data. And, you know, that, that can add up. And, uh, you know, even though we're Pressing it, trying to be cognizant about you know, data tiering, you know, leveraging, putting data you know, at the lower cost tiers, depending on um, you know, whether or not it's being used or you know, how, what the performance needs to be of that, you know, leveraging that data. Even so, it, it creeps up on you. Uh, you know, there's services like, for example, serverless um, computing where you're charged by the transaction. And you know, we, uh, with uh, Azure Cloud, with Data Factory, we had one job that was running uh, every day that was costing 24 to 26 dollars every time it ran and it was running uh, 20 times a day and uh, it was running seven days a week so it can get very expensive very quickly i sort of consider it to be like a death by a thousand cuts from the perspective that each individual service or transaction or you know cost per per terabyte or gigabyte can can look really uh inexpensive in the aggregate it can get very expensive and so just you know, not understanding the economics of the cloud and planning for it, you know, is a big mistake I see organizations making. Um, the second is not having a, a strong plan around governance. You know, and governance takes many forms in the cloud. Uh, you know, we have traditional data governance as well as as um, as operational governance. You know, we were working with an organization that 
they were allowing everybody and anybody uh, to launch their own instances in the cloud. And uh, so managing that becomes very difficult because everyone uses their naming conventions. Uh, they can uh, spin up you know, services that, you know, different geographic regions, um, and it can be very difficult uh, from an operational perspective to find everything that everybody's creating and making sure that they're, you know, being managed and, and, and maintained appropriately. You know, the next mistake I see organizations making is, is not, we talked about architecting for the cloud, but not architecting for the cloud, but just looking at it from a lift and shift standpoint of, let's just take our existing environment and let's just lift it as is and move it into the cloud. And that's gonna move us to the cloud and continue from there. And um, I'm not saying that that can't be a good approach or isn't a good approach initially. It can be for speed and expediency of saying, let's just um, take what we have and let's move it. But then you have to uh, plan for re-architecting and, and leveraging different aspects of the cloud um, because invariably you'll find that there are aspects to what you do that don't, maybe some of your Disney applications that don't run well in the cloud, uh, maybe aren't, you know, don't leverage uh, identity and access management, third-party identity and access management services that you'll need to ensure that you know, you're maintaining security in one place and not in every single application. And obviously, you know, leveraging and in, in architecting for the lowest cost, um, because as I mentioned, it can get very expensive very quickly. And so, um, you may want to lift and shift what you have, but then over time, you may, you, you're going to want to, uh, like I mentioned, maybe you want to take that, uh, that, that 100 node Hadoop cluster and maybe uh, take that as, as a data lake. Maybe you're using it as a data lake and you're going to want to leverage object based storage of your data lake and then provide services on top uh, for uh, more Hadoop type processing. So not architecting, uh, I think, and sort of should say, not having good governance structure around it. And governing, you know, data in the cloud, just like we learned with, you know, big data technologies like Hadoop, it's, you know, it's a little bit. It can be harder because it, you have a much more distributed environment, and and you find that over time you have data everywhere. So how do you manage that? How do you manage the lineage? Um, how do you know where your data is? How where it's coming from? Um, how do you maintain data quality in the cloud? I mean, there's so many aspects to governance that you really do have to plan for when you move to the cloud. Um, and then the last thing I'll bring up, because this, this is another topic we probably talk about uh, for quite a while, is, is really not, you know, really not understanding the lock-in um, aspects of the cloud. And, uh, you know, I know it was something that you know, we talked about uh, previously about, do we have to be worried about vendor lock-in? And, and, and the answer is yes, you need to be worried about it. Can you, you know, are you 100% locked in? Uh, in every case, no, but you know the more services that you leverage within a cloud provider, whether it's a SERP software as a service provider, a platform as a service provider, or an infrastructure as a service provider, and the more services that you leverage, you know the more you do get locked in. And you know there's some things you can do to mitigate from a software as a service perspective. You can mitigate, um, you know, being able to get access to your data at any time if you want to move it from that provider to a different provider. But you do have to negotiate that a lot of times up front. You, know, you can choose to use uh, to use workflow tools um, in around managing your your infrastructure environment, uh, like Terraform, that you can utilize those scripts across clouds. So you're not using a specific scripting language for a specific cloud provider that you can't then you know your choices. If I'm going to move the cloud, then I have to rewrite all my scripts. So 
if you choose vendors that work across clouds, that can reduce the amount of vendor lock-in that you have. Um, and then another form of vendor lock-in that we see are long-term commitments. Uh, you know, there's vendors are you know, the, the public cloud providers, as well as uh, you know, the infrastructure service providers, I should say, as well as the software service providers are, you know, really, you know, they're looking to lock you in as an enterprise customer. And they're offering, they're offering, you know, deep discounts, steep discounts uh, to move your workloads over and their applications over to their cloud. But um, a lot of times they can come with long-term commitments. Um, two to three year commitments aren't uh, out of the ordinary and, and that will lock you in. Yeah, you know, it's I've heard people say that uh, the cloud providers, especially the public ones, so will be uh, offering soon really, really deep discounts to migrate your data away from a competitor. And it'll kind of look like the the whole Verizon versus Comcast uh, um, battles that go on uh, with with uh, discounts and coupons and and uh, counter counter discounts and things like that to get you to move. So even though it is costly to move data out of a public cl cloud platform, um, I think it seems to me that there's going to be a you know as this goes to commodity the vendors will be helping to make that as seamless and easy and as least costly a process as possible. Uh, but nonetheless, there are things that you should do to avoid getting locked in. I think having that object store, as you say, and make sure all your data is there, that is probably fundamental, right? Because uh, once you have it in that form, it's easier to move in and out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, there's... There's a lot of things you can do to avoid lock-in, uh, you know, and part of that is thinking about that up front. Uh, you know, making sure that uh, you're architecting, you're designing in a way that, you know, if you did move, understanding what it would take to move. Right. Well, great, Steve. We've run out of time. I want to thank you for being on the show once again. My pleasure. It's been it's been great being here, and I do want to add that, you know, I know you're asking me specific questions because uh, you know the questions that you get uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, as people are looking to move to the cloud. Uh, and so I've given you a lot of sort of areas of sort of mistakes work that people make or, you know, some challenges with the cloud. But I do want to say that it's, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of the cloud. I do um, su subscribe to the, uh, the notion that, you know, it's going to be uh, very prevalent uh, in, in the next two to three years. Uh, most companies will have at least part of their architectures in the cloud, um, their applications, part of the work they do will be in the cloud. And, uh, you know, it's taken quite a while to get there. Um, you know, I think security was a big issue for a long time and it's still something to take very seriously. But um, a lot of those concerns have uh, or at least become uh, less concerning as, as people learn more about the cloud and cloud providers get, get more secure. But it's, you know, I'm a big fan of, of the cloud and, and, and organizations can become much more agile, much more flexible. They can they can meet customer needs you know, from an analytics standpoint much faster than traditional on-prem environments in a lot of cases. And you know the economic model, if you plan correctly and understand it, uh, can be very much in your favor. So I did want to add that. Great. Well, thank you very much once again. Welcome. Thanks, Wayne. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.